Ladies and gentlemen, I'm full of optimism. Einstein's theory of relativity. We're still seeing it quite well through that haze. E equals MC. That all men are created about the future innovations. And growing strength in the air. This is Finding Your Frequency with your hosts, Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice, and hear from the thought leaders. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest episode of Finding Your Frequency. This is Ryan Treasure. Again, Jeff's out taking over the world. We did some other interviews earlier where he wasn't available. Trust me, he will be back. We appreciate you guys all tuning in to the radio show. You can find us all over social media. You can check out the website, uh, findingyourfrequency.net, and our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash frequency net. We have a great, great show for you guys today. You know, just... All kinds of crazy stuff is always happening around the world. We have, you know, disease and hunger and famine. And, you know, we we recently did an, uh, 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 an, an expose piece on uh, U.S. obesity and uh, Lyme disease and how stem cell research is helping, uh, you know, cure some of these bloodborne diseases and all of that. And, you know, we kind of continue uh, continue that series with our special guest today, Ellen Agler. Ellen serves as the chief executive officer of the End Fund, working to see an end of suffering caused by five neglected tropical diseases affecting 1.5 billion people. That's B with a billion. The end fund actively supports NTD programs with dozens of partners in more than 25 different countries with a focus on sub-Saharan Africa. Ellen, welcome to finding your frequency. Thanks for joining us today. It's fabulous to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you taking out the time uh, to come and sit down with us and, you know, uh, you know, finding a frequency where we're, we do multiple interviews on a weekly basis. Uh, you know, we, we just we want to find out, you know, what was that aha moment where people found their frequency? What was that journey, that story? So, you know, let's let's uh, let's talk about the end fund, but let's find out how you got there. What was this journey like? Where did you start? Let's let's go back and uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's interesting to start there because I think. Um, I have to go back to growing up and actually wanting to be a writer and a journalist. Um, and I started quite young doing that. I, I, I moved out of my house when I was 16 and I was working as a journalist through high school. I was writing speeches. I just wanted to be a writer. And I, at one point, I remember um, in during college, I, I had an editor who would send me out on different stories and I would always come back really attached. Um, I lived in Boise, Idaho, uh, and I ended up volunteering for the um, refugee resettlement initiative there. I ended up, you know, the, doing a story on the Idaho Commission for the Blind and then ended up volunteering for, you know, servicing. I, I, when I realized that people that were blind just had such such trouble, especially then before ebooks and um, a lot of the audio things that we had. So I ended up reading stories to the blind. Um, and reading some of the textbooks to help them get through to graduate school. Oh, and that's I had awesome. A, that, a, that, um, that's good work right was, there. That's good. That's good. <laughs> that's fun. good. Solid community work. <laughs> I loved it. And my, but my, my editor said, I think you might be in the wrong profession. You, you can't get this attached to every story I send you on. And, and I <laughs> sort of knew that in my gut. And I thought, yeah, but I want to be a journalist. I want to be a writer. And he said, well, maybe, you know, maybe you should look at some other things. And it just opened my mind to exploring. And I honestly, at that time, living in Boise, Idaho, 
in the early 90s, I didn't know of any global NGOs. I think I could have named Doctors Without Borders and the Red Cross. Right. And this, this same editor introduced me to his brother who worked for Operation Smile. And I had actually then started you know, looking at what would it take to join the Peace Corps? Or could I do something really service-oriented for a couple of years? And just was blown away by the work that Operation Smile was doing to transform the lives of kids with a flip palate. And was really lucky enough to get hired as a coordinator of medical volunteer programs. This was in my early 20s. And I, I just got the bug. I just saw what low-cost interventions could do to change someone's life and ended up going that route and learning about health systems. And so I went back to graduate school for um, studying development studies, did another graduate degree in public health, and just haven't turned back from this, uh, this space of public health. And I'll tell you, coming to the end fund, there was this aha where I got a call from a recruiter at one point who said, oh, would you be interested in this job? They're building a new organization called the End Fund. And I thought, first, I've never heard of it. And second, I really love my job. And and But then when I, she said, well, let me just send you over the, the, the description. And what totally struck me was that number 1.5 billion people are suffering. And I think when I was in graduate school for public health, you know, when you look at what is an intervention at a population level that can change lives for you know everybody living in a community it's different than medicine where yeah, you're I mean, you know treating people one by one yeah and when you and say thought, when you okay. say when you say 1.5 billion people too i mean that is not a small number uh, you know I, what is there like what 7 billion or 8 billion people in the entire globe exactly so you it's <laughs> literally uh, almost one every one out of every five people either has intestinal worms or is at risk of blinding trachoma or at risk of you know getting elephantiasis because they're being bitten by a mosquito that carries a particular yeah, parasite we, and so we did an these interview, are all diseases yeah we did yeah. an interview a couple of weeks ago with this um nice young lady sophie ward and she was um an olympic swimmer that was in england and um the country of england was like hey let us um let us take you with us to um to china to the uh the games there um she was 14 at the time so she would have competed in the next uh the next set of olympics but they were like hey you know you're one of the hopeful come here we want you to experience the whole environment she got bit by a tick in china and got lyme disease and lost her whole career oh yeah that's heartbreaking and that's what can happen i mean it, it really is the, the the scourge of parasites in the world i mean they you know i love that uh, the gates foundation they do a mosquito week that kind of is like a riff off of shark week <laughs> saying actually the deadliest animal in the world is not sharks it's mosquitoes that kill you know, hundreds of thousands of people a year from because of malaria, but also about two hundred thousand people a year die of a disease called schistosomiasis. That's right. <laughs> yeah, and if any of you guys have ever been in Idaho, snail. you know how many mosquitoes are in Idaho. <laughs> my not a lot actually. <laughs> so my, my family lives in eastern Idaho, like in the Idaho Falls really? area. And I'm telling you what, oh, in wow. the in the summertime there is literally a truck that drives around twenty four hours a day, <laughs> seven days a week, spraying uh mosquito <laughs> repellent like through the neighborhoods on the street. That's like this giant smoke thing that comes through there because it's right off the Snake River, right? And there's uh, all of these mosquitoes. It's it's quite it, it's quite crazy. I go there every year for the fourth of July and whenever I hear that truck coming around, I gotta run back in grandma's house so i don't have to smell that <laughs> you know what that truck might be annoying and it smell bad but that is a public health intervention that we are lucky to have and and have so that you are keeping disease down and i think that when i when i travel in rural parts of africa where you're like you're beyond the end of the road there is no road you're you're walking village to village there's no you know it's 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 hard to control the mosquito population and 
And a lot of, because it's tropical zones, there are a lot more parasites that carry, um, you know, carry malaria, carry lymphatic filariasis, and that can change the entire course of, course of some life. So I'll take the truck. I always hate yeah, when I take get the truck. Airplane and you're walking down the aisle. I don't know if you've had this one, then they're spraying insecticide. I want to cover my whole head. But I also think I'm glad that these uh, public health interventions exist. So we are able to control disease to a large part. Yeah. And I guess probably that's my American in me, just not even mm. thinking for one second, you know, the differences. And, you know, that's probably why it's really important to get this, you know, information out there to the public, because a lot of us Americans, like we take for granted every day. Like I can, I can, I can walk outside all the time. I don't have to worry about that stuff. You know, I can, I can go and do things like our, our economy, our government, our society, we have, you know, protocol in place to, you know, manage these types of things where I guess, you know, some of these other countries don't have that type of infrastructure. You know, it, there is nothing like cultivating gratitude and compassion um, when you do spend significant time with the community and in a place that doesn't have running water, that doesn't have, you know, a system to manage uh, sewage, um, that doesn't, you know, that soap, just something as simple as soap for hand washing is something that sometimes people can't afford or is hard to come by. You know, I've just seen these hand dug wells that are full of water that just, you know, that's the water that the community uses and it's full of parasites. And I do feel like we are, we are incredibly lucky when it comes to, I mean, there are a lot of problems that we need to address and are very serious in the United States as well. But um, yeah, so know, I think do these- looking at what can be done on ending disease and improving water and sanitation and just behavior change. I mean, when I, I, I spend time in, in Kenya and you see a place like um, Lake Victoria where it's beautiful and you would want to jump in and swim, but you just know, and you see kids and they're jumping and swimming. But now that I know about the parasite burden there, I think, oh. They don't even realize they're getting infected by yeah, like a disease that we have could the, kill them. We have the CDC here, right? That kind of helps protect mm-hmm. us as as a as a community for the United States and making sure that you know our stuff is tested and you know all that. What 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 does the what are the folks in sub-Saharan Africa have? Are we are we as the United States or you guys as the N Fund or or any other organizations like working with them in Africa to help them establish a CDC type environment to help manage that for them locally? Well, there. Thank goodness there is an Africa CDC and many countries have a, a CDC like entity they may not call it the Center for Disease Control right so there is monitoring and surveillance and evaluation but it's just sometimes the the, the lab capacity isn't there the the infrastructure just drive from one place to another is uh, isn't there so I, I just think all of that and you have to remember in the United States you know the life expectancy around in 1900 was only 45 and that's what it is in a lot of other parts of the world and the main the main things that created life expectancy to where it was then to where it is now was around hygiene and sanitation and you know disease control through things like vaccination and i think some of that is you know simple but i love that i love that folks like you know matt damon or bill gates are talking about toilets. <laughs> you think, actually, can you reinvent the toilet so that you don't need a huge water infrastructure? Um, and are there ways to, you know, to have just something as simple as hand washing clubs in schools so that yeah, it's let's get rid really of education? Do you know, uh, is, do you know, the United States is like one of the only countries that uses toilet paper. You know, is that true? Yeah, the only it, one of the only countries. It is. There's only a few Western um, uh, countries that use toilet paper. Everybody else uses a bidet. 
Right. And um, yeah, so here, yeah, here we yeah. are, here we are just massively consuming. I actually learned that during an interview that we did with a gentleman who created a product that would solve like bamboo based paper products um, because of oh. how, how much more renewable bamboo is than trees. And so we did this cool, you know, discussion around, you know, all of that. And then he's like, he's like, yeah, we just flush literally our paper down the toilet where other countries are like, that's really stupid. Why don't you just wash your butt? <laughs> <laughs> That is a really funny story. Now, I had someone from India once tell me, um, you know, because they would use water and their hands to wash. And, you know, and, and so Americans were like, oh, your hand, what are you talking about? And they said, well, toilet paper doesn't get everything off. And, and that seems really disgusting. And how can you be so uncleanly to use just toilet paper and not water in your hand to clean yourself, which is much more efficient? And I just thought, well, that is a shift in perspective that we think, you know, what what we think is hygienic is not necessarily the definition that, that others do. We should go get bidets. So, we should go get bidets and have them installed at our house immediately. I want one of those Japanese toilets. Have you ever sat on one of those? It's like. Uh, you know, no. lots of different types of no, they uh, don't, they don't warm let me, water, cold water. They don't, let, they don't <laughs> let me out of the studio, Ellen. Well, you need to get out more. You should come to Africa and visit one of our programs. No, that would We'd be, love a, that to, would be amazing. love to invite you. Yeah, that would be amazing. So let, let's let's talk about some of these things. You know, um, you know, one of the things you and I were kind of touching base on before the interview was, um, you know, the the hookworm, right? The that is now making a comeback uh, in in the states, right? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I want to be um, thoughtful. Not maybe comeback is the wrong term. Uh, because it really is in a, in a limited number of hotspots. It's been, it's been um, But there spotted. was press. Yeah, there was some press in, in Alabama about hookworm prevalence in some individual communities. I know that um, so, Peter be, Hotez, actually, so who's the before, director. Before you get the, into uh, that, though, tell, tell, yes. tell our oh. listeners what a hookworm is. Like, I'm, People may not even know what that is and the significance of hookworm in the first place. Yeah, what do you think of when, when I say hookworm? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Some parasite that invades my skin. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Well, so you may get it by um, not washing your hands. The the worms lay eggs. Uh, if you have worms inside of your body, they lay eggs basically, and you poop them out. And it's this oral fecal route. So if you're not washing your hands or accidentally getting it on food, then you ingest. And these are these grow up to, in your body to be little, tiny little worms. But if you, there's some pictures of hookworm. If you Google it, it's so scary because if you magnify it. They have these um, fanged, teeth-like blades that hook in to the inside of your intestine. And so they're literally yeah. blood-sucking worms that are in your body, which yeah. is horrible. And so they cause massive amount of anemia and can really, for kids, stunt their growth, for women, you know, affect their maternal um, outcomes and, and just create you know, a sense of um, illness that's constant. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had anemia, but you can just feel tired all the time and not have the energy. And it's really fascinating because in the public health world, you think about the Rockefeller Foundation has just loomed large and been so influential in the area of health in the United States. And they were actually found in the early 1900s as the Rockefeller Sanitary Commission to end hookworm in the American South. Oh, wow. And it was because John D. Rockefeller, you know, had sent a team down to look at what are the economic opportunities to expand in the American South, thinking about supporting more agriculture and farming. And they came back and said, well, all the, everybody who lives in the most arable land seems to be sick. You know, they, they and unfortunately, some people said it looks like they have the laziness disease, but the laziness disease was anemia. And once they recognized that a hookworm was so endemic and it was causing stunted growth and, um, you know, incredible illness, 
that they studied, okay, where is the hookworm? And actually found that, you know, if you, if you uh, lay a hookworm egg, it can hatch and a hookworm can travel about one foot per day and six six feet is about the maximum amount that any one hookworm could travel. So they said, well, why don't we start building, uh, you know, toilets with six foot deep pit latrines? And that's how they originally came up with the, the depth. And of course that helped with Jardia and all sorts of sanitation issues. So, but that intervention of improving sanitation. Uh, I love the history lesson. Um, Thank you. Is great. Yeah. And I think that we really believed and we had largely tackled. So you don't think about intestinal worms. I mean, there may be some spots in Appalachia that that are still struggling, but it's, it's, you think I've talked to my grandparents' generation and they, they worried about worms, but now it's, um, it is, there's hot spots coming back in Alabama. That's really concerning uh, to think, well, we shouldn't have to be worried about, you know, our, 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 our health in that way. So what, what's like, um, so what does treatment look like to, for somebody? Something really to pay attention to. What does treat, what does treatment look like for somebody who ends up with hookworm? How do they, you know, eradicate that from themselves if, if that happens? Well, the great thing is deworming medicines are incredibly effective. And you don't think about taking deworming medicines much in the United States, but you probably give deworming medicines maybe to your dog, heart guard, you know, heart for yeah. heartworm. And yeah, that, same, that same category of medicines is great for people. So like Johnson & Johnson makes a drug called Mabendazole and GlaxoSmithKline makes one called Albendazole. And those you can take, um, you know, once and it really kills all the parasites inside of you. And what you have to be careful of is just not reinfection. So if you live in a place where there's not good hygiene and sanitation, you'll just continue to get reinfected. So the treatment strategy in places with high prevalence is you might just get dewormed once or twice a year. Yeah, I was going to say di- diagno- diagnosis yeah. happens, what, with a blood test or a stool sample or something like that? At a your stool doctor? sample, okay. yep, a stool sample. But one of the interesting things with, with places like, you know, I, we work in Ethiopia and Kenya and the Central African Republic, you don't necessarily go and test every single child. Um, the test, it's the test is more expensive than just the treatment, especially since drug companies are donating literally billions of dollars of drugs to try to fight these diseases. Yeah, could you not so you, do the testing do is, and just start treating? Well, what you would what you would do is you would have some um, hot spots that you treat, and you do a surveillance and ma- uh, disease prevalence mapping. So you might do a certain number of schools where you would test kids, and that basically says, okay, if it's more, if it's between ten and fifty percent of kids have at least one worm, then you should be treating once a year. If it's more than fifty percent um, in that community, treat twice a year. And right. then you proceed to treat everybody in the community because it's that mass treatment strategy. It's such a safe old um, drug that you don't have to. It's not like um, antibiotics where you have, if you take it a lot, you'll get resistance. Um, there's, you know, you just take it once a year. So it's, it's a, a lot less problematic in that sense. And treat the whole population until you get the prevalence so low that you don't need treatment anymore. But usually with deworming. So hopefully, you know, this community well, in Alabama. The, the finding your frequency tested, show is now officially anti anti internal worms. We're we're not gonna we'll, <laughs> we'll be we'll be we'll be uh, mentioning that on the show uh, on an ongoing basis, making sure folks know. I'm, this is just I didn't I didn't realize like you're blowing my mind a little bit, you know. Just well, it, it does. Uh, it it you makes know, you. Just you don't, okay, here's here's something to blow your mind. So if you come to my office, we have a jar of intestinal roundworms <laughs> to show people because it's like okay worms and hookworms are actually quite small but quite nefarious but people could have some a child could have as a moderate level of infection um 200 roundworms in their intestine and each worm is 8 to 12 inches long so it takes you know a jar that's a foot tall and you know you, you can't hold it with two hands around 
And so it just kind of makes you realize this is something, this is something serious. Like if, if your kids are getting food, it's the worms that are getting the food, not, you know, not the kid is getting all those nutrients. And it can sometimes cause such exceptional blockage to the intestine that people have to have surgery to remove them. I mean, that's a very severe case, but I've seen it. Uh-huh. And uh, I just think it's not, it's not a baseline that we should be working toward. <laughs> and no, I, kids can grow up a lot healthier and deworming. We, re- we are advocating that it should be a regular part of any school health and nutrition program and any family's um, you know, uh, health, health outreach um, in areas where, where worms are still a problem. Well, when we talk about, is- you, you know, we talk about your passion for outreach and your passion for, you know, um, ending these neglected uh, diseases and all of the work that you guys do at the end fund. Let's talk about your book under the big tree, extraordinary stories from the movement to end neglected tropical diseases, because, you know, as we kind of shift towards the end of the interview, I want to make sure people have a, a, an understanding where they can, you know, uh, read more about your passion and, and all that. And so tell us, tell us about your book. Well, thank you. The book just launched a few weeks ago and it's been a passion project. And I'm going pa- to pause you right now because you're already going to be modest. I can tell you, but um, right on the cover of the book, the forward is from Bill Gates. So that uh, is some, some pretty powerful stuff right there. <laughs> yeah. Bill, the Gates foundation is incredibly generous and Bill and Melinda Gates are deeply committed to these issues of reducing disease for some of the poorest people in the world. So it's a huge honor to have Bill Gates do the forward. Um, and at the book, you know, for when I started working as CEO of the End Fund in 2012, I found that there was a lot written about neglected tropical diseases, but most of it was buried in academic literature and in really dense scientific material. And what I was taken by was this uh, just inspiring passionate people that were working to end the diseases that were fighting to get to the very front line like sometimes walking 20 miles to reach a community to ensure that treatment um, got there uh, people who were inventing new medicines I mean there's an incredible gentleman named uh, William Campbell who helped invent ivermectin um, and that came through Merck and Merck has been donating it ever since for treating the hundreds of millions of people at risk for river blindness and that you know it's this incredible humble wonderful person who you know ended up winning the Nobel Prize for that years and years later, but well, he just had a passion for it, parasites. And, and it's cool to—it's cool to know that lives. some of those big pharma companies are actually giving back too. You know, like they make so much money. You hear so many negative things in 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 public about big pharma, but you don't hear like that part that Mark is actually donating something to help out other people. You don't—you don't hear that. Well, I wish we could have people hear that more because while there are major issues with big pharma. In this case, we work with a set of five or six pharmaceutical companies that donate over $4 billion worth of medicines a year to, oh, wow. to improve the lives of people that could never afford it. And it's it's incredibly generous. They don't have to do it. And you just see how hard they work to you know, make sure the manufacturing and packaging is good for low resource settings and that it really gets delivered, paid for it to be shipped you know, to the countries and get it through customs. Um, you know, work will support countries on supply chain and how to make sure that their warehouses are set up appropriately to keep the drugs at the right temperature and in the right conditions. So I've just seen a massive amount of generosity from yeah, like Merck and Johnson and Johnson and um, Merck Serono and Pfizer. So it's, it is cool to see that side of it. And I think it's an undertold story Yeah, uh, and it, it changes a lot of lives. And I think that's what I really wanted to write this book for is to a lot of these underrepresented voices. Um, that are people who suffer from the diseases themselves and have overcome them and are now helping others to, you know, 
just heroes and ministries of health that are turning things around and and how philanthropy and just your everyday person that's amazing what what you what you do really just fits the mantra of what finding your frequency is about i don't know if you were um if you had your headphones on when i we played the opener but our opener specifically the opener is amazing (laughs) it says it's not it's not about about it's not about content and code it's about Mm -hmm. getting the intestinal (laughs) fortitude to do something about it right make a difference intestinal fortitude i'm going to use that one that's good (laughs) (laughs) yeah really good for your work for ending intestinal worms So, Ellen, uh, what, well, and what's, I, what what's I, next? In that, in, that, in that first, um, in your opening, you've got Bill, I recognize Bill Gates' voice saying, I'm optimistic. Yep. And I feel the same way. I feel so optimistic just in the seven years that I've worked on neglected tropical diseases, hundreds of millions of people no longer have these diseases and don't need to be treated. And country by country is eliminating blinding trachoma to river blindness. And it's just a great story that I think in these times where people can feel quite immobilized by how many things are hard in our world to hear these good news stories that you know we're making progress we're going to continue to and you know in our generation on our watch we can make sure that a lot of people's lives are significantly better yeah i totally agree and you know as you as you work on the end fund you know you have the book that you that you did under the big tree but what's what's next for you ellen where where do you go from here well, uh, tomorrow I'm going to Dubai to visit one of our funders, and then I'm heading to Rwanda, uh, and a group of us are uh, from the World Health Organization and a coalition of um, really the movement of, of people that are working on ending neglected diseases. We're trying to map out what are the clear targets and what can we do over the next 10 years. Um, you know, we the Sustainable Development Goals have ending neglected tropical diseases right in there. Uh, as a as a major goal, so more and more countries are stepping up national ownership and wanting to do more locally. And so we're talking about how we can support countries to do that. So, and then I'm going to be in Zimbabwe. Um, Zimbabwe is an incredible country that wants to fully eliminate these diseases and do more around water and sanitation infrastructure. So, what's next is just continuing this push and um, supporting partners and country leaders. Um, to see it end to these diseases and do it in a sustainable way. I mean, I feel like very lucky that I get to be a part of this work. But yeah, keeping your foot on also, the pedal, I love it. I love it too. I really do love it. Thank you for your time. We appreciate it. Um, you guys go check out uh, the website. Uh, you can find out all about uh, the End Fund at end.org. Uh, a lot of cool information on that website. You can read all about the things that Ellen and her team are doing to stop these diseases. And then, of course, uh, go check out the book. You can get that on Amazon. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ellen. Guys, check out the podcast. We're all over anywhere you can get podcasts, Google Play, uh, Spotify, all those fun places, iTunes and all that. Make sure you give us a five-star rating because five stars are better than four. And uh, check us out on our website, findingafrequency.net. Uh, you can check me out on Twitter at Radio Ryan one and Jeff at, at Jeff Spinney 2 Again, thank you for tuning in. Finding a Frequency right here on voiceamerica.com.